Wumanjika. My name is Larry Walsh, and I'm an elder of the Tunnarong people and the Kulin Nations. And we acknowledge we are on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri, Wurrung people, and the Bumurung people. And we pay our respects to their ancestors, and we also pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. And through them, we also pay our respects to all Aboriginal and Islander communities that live in the western suburbs. Welcome to FCAC Radio, a podcast series produced by Footscray Community Arts Centre, platforming artists, creatives and stories in Melbourne's west and beyond. Hi everyone, and welcome to FCAC Radio. My name is Vaishnavi Vijayakuma, and I'm the marketing manager at Footscray Community Arts Centre. Today, we'll be chatting to Ruby Rose Pivot-Marsh. Ruby is a writer, a 2019 graduate of FCAC's Emerging Cultural Leaders Program, the co-founder of Latinx Collective Your Soy, and the current artistic director of the Emerging Writers Festival. So hi, Ruby. Hi, Vi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Very happy to be here. We're very happy to have you. So to start off with, you'll be reciting a written piece here from your project as part of the Emerging Cultural Leaders Program. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, um, this project I realised today is about a year old um, in terms of the development. So actually it had a life before ECL. I was invited by Law Journal as a previous artist that they had worked with to participate in a week-long workshopping project. And part of that was I created this piece that is kind of referential to growing up in Footscray, to being queer, to dreams that I had been having that are linked to sort of like familial and personal trauma and things like that. So yeah, it's originally about eight pages long. And then the piece that I put forward to for ECL, we With my collaborators, we ended up making a three-part audio poem and part of this poem that I'm reading today ended up in that version but not all of it. Amazing. When it was in ECL, it was called Mariposa, which means butterfly because I often find in my works and in my dreams I see a lot of butterflies and they symbolise a lot of different things in terms of sort of migration and Latin America and, you know, death, rebirth, all that sort of stuff. But I think I only reference like a butterfly once (laughs) in this version, so uh, it's untitled. (laughs) Untitled by Ruby Rose. I love it. One, Christmas time, my brother is back. I have a dream that he's a cannibal. I watch him gorge himself, something like hatred behind his eyes. He keeps eating and eating, unspeaking, and until I can't separate the red blanket from the red blood. I can't tell if I'm in my body in this dream, or watching from above, or somehow both at once, and that feels familiar. Two. I joke to my mum that I have to stop shitting where I eat, which I think is actually really funny, but she doesn't. In fact, she's horrified, and I explain that what I'm trying to say is I'm sick of dating white art gays and white club kids, and when did they all decide to move to Footscray anyway? Three. A friend calls me a butterfly, and it fills me up, warm and rosy from my belly to my cheeks. I bathe in it. Four. 
There are ants in the bathroom, marching along the tiles, one by one. They don't know where they've come from or where they're going. My brother says that they're looking for water but can't figure out how to get to it, let alone drink from the plug of the bathtub. I know that there's a metaphor in there somewhere for love or affection or trust or something else entirely, but I can't bring myself to pinch the ants between my fingers or squash them into the tiles under my thumb or spray them with poison so I just watch them. Five. My mum tells me during the blood moon in January that I'm soft like butter. I'm not sure if that's an apology or an insult or simply a statement of fact. That was amazing. Oh, my God. So powerful. And I really love the mixture of, like, angst and poignancy with um, a little bit of, you know, light kind of humour <laughs> in there as well. And and I actually also really love the fact that you touch on some of, um, yeah, I guess the changes that are happening in Footscray in a mm. really subtle way, but also kind of blend in um, the family context into, um, you know, what that kind of means and, and how that kind of works. So um, did you want to talk a little bit more about some of the specifics that you kind of um, had in that written piece of work? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I love that you said um, – that it's kind of subtle because I always think that I'm quite aggressive about Footscray in terms of being from Footscray and not <laughs> and and being frustrated um, with I guess um, little things that are probably insignificant to other people. But like when I hear people refer to Sims as IGA, it really um, frustrates me and that's putting it lightly um and I think yeah part of it is just yeah it's interesting having grown up in Footscray and having been here you know since the 90s when was kind of seen as this hideous place but actually Footscray has always been so culturally rich and has been the place that made me who I am and so many of my friends and family members. So seeing people kind of only think it has worth once it becomes whiter and more expensive and further marginalises the people who have already been here is endlessly frustrating. Yeah, no. And so it's funny in that sort of poem Part of that is also like talking about dating and being queer and what that's like navigating sort of race and gender and sexuality, class and things like that just makes things, yeah, there's a lot more nuance I think than people afford those things in combination with each other. Totally. And I think I guess that's the beauty of art sometimes, you know, being able to explore the intersection um, mm. of different kind of identities and parts of what make, you know, a person whole. And, you know, I yeah. totally understand. Like I grew up in um, Western Sydney and it was mm. kind of the same really. Like um, I went to a school like on the other side of the bridge is <laughs> what yeah, they called that's, it. that's what it's like here. Yeah. yeah. And it was like a more of an affluent area. And even when I started working in the city, like they were like, oh, yeah, buys from out west, mm-hmm. um, making it sound really far away. But like with this light kind of stigma attached to kind of, you know, coming yeah. from and living in the area. And, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, when I first moved to um, Melbourne, like I grew up 
you know, very much in my community. Like there was a really mm-hmm. big, strong Sri Lankan Tamil community in um, Sydney's West. And so moving to Melbourne and then working in the art sector, kind of realised how very much lacking in diversity it can mm-hmm. be sometimes. Definitely. And it's only like, you know, really when, you know, I'm, I started working at Footscray Community Arts Centre is where I really found that sense of kinship mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in terms of finding other people who really understood that migrant experience. Yeah. And you realise how important that is to kind of, you know, giving you a sense of fulfilment and making you feel really connected to your culture and not having that when you move somewhere else. It can be really disorienting in so many ways. Yeah. So I think that's why I love Footscray so much. Like it's so similar to where I grew up. Like the area I live in is like filled with so many different cultures and um, so many different people. And it's kind of, it's almost like the reverse of what's happening to Footscray because yeah. more newly arrived migrants are moving into the area, which means people who aren't of migrant backgrounds are actually moving out. So mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like the the, the reverse kind of, I guess, um, you know, experience and, and transient stage there. But, yeah, it's really interesting talking about that. And, I, yeah, I love how yeah. you kind of explored that in your piece. It's funny because um, I obviously I grew up in Footscray. I went to school in Footscray, both like primary and secondary, and it wasn't until I entered university, like tertiary education and then the arts, that I realised how lucky I am to like I've always loved being from Footscray it's always been something that I've been very proud of it's something that I always like make sure people know um because it informs so much of my like view of the world and my politics and all that sort of stuff and my like personal ethics and morals and values but when I went into tertiary education I realized I guess just how lacking in all of those yeah like you're saying like the sort of richness of cultural diversity and I don't really like that no, word. Do I, <laughs> to yeah, how much it was lacking in those spaces in tertiary education and in the arts and not just as a person of colour, not just as a queer person, but also someone who grew up in the Western suburbs. Like I remember being at university and one of the first things I heard was from a lecturer who had addressed a, a, a lecture hall um, with well, some of you went to public school, so I know you won't know how to write an essay. And I'm like, excuse me, are we not all in the same course? Um, um, and so, like, experiences oh like God. that, like views of public education, I'm just like, well, I don't really quite understand where, where this, like, concept of that comes from. And then being in a class where... I was get I got the highest mark and was like kind of in a nice way I guess called out by the professor in having had the highest mark and then someone started talking about Western suburbs and someone was like oh well, Footscray's trash nothing comes out of there like no one good comes out of there no one smart comes out of there and I was just like um yeah I'm from Footscray and then like the room went quiet and I'm just like do you like it, it's just really strange how that yeah, that still is that such a thing, but then w- was such a thing up until a couple of years ago and now people are like, oh, it's so trendy. And, and <laughs> like it's so like diverse it's gone, it's and like the food from, is so good. Yeah, it's gone from people asking like, aren't you scared to live there? Like wasn't it really dangerous growing up there? Like wasn't it? And to like, oh, it's so much nicer there now that there are cafes and like cool I love a cafe too but like what the fuck <laughs> it's like my suburb was cool way before I got your stick mm-hmm. like stamp of approval or whatever yeah, you want to call it kind of thing is like having been 
trying to like champion the Western suburbs for so long. And I know that so many people feel this and having been like shut down or ignored or being told that there's no interest from other audiences to suddenly people coming in being like, oh, this is wonderful. It's like, yeah, we told you years ago. We bloody told you so. We bloody told you years ago. And yeah, I think that's kind of like the difficult thing where it's like, you know, suddenly it's like the suburb has this kind of validation and stuff. Mm -hmm. And 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 sometimes like that validation also takes away from a bit of the authenticity of what it is and the people who've like experienced it in such a strong and authentic way kind of growing Mm -hmm. up. It's like going like, you're beginning to only recognise the beauty of it now, now that it's become really trendy. Yeah. But before that, this was something that you really kind of stigmatised um, quite yeah. a bit. And, like, to hear, like, things like that where, like, you're, you know, you're doing so well and you've, you know, accomplished so much in your career now, but, like, having to go through university and people undermining you based on, like, class and, yeah, that sounds really, really horrible. Yeah, and um, I don't know, like, the class thing is interesting because it's, like, um, I have had a very privileged upbringing in, where I live, my parents are still very supportive and all that sort of stuff. But it's, yeah, the location thing is really interesting. But I was also thinking like FCAC, for example, like as you know, has been around for decades. And so does like growing up in Footscray and also, you know, being queer and Latinx, does that inform a lot of your writing and what you like to write about? Yeah, so th- those things all inform the way I experience the world. So, of course, they inform my my writing and sort of my arts curation and programming producer work as well. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, growing up in Footscray, there was a small Latin American community, but sort of more so in Sunshine, Maidstone and things like that, so Western suburbs. There did used to be um, a really good Chilean oh, – I think it was a Latin American, like, small goods, and I think it was run by a Chilean person because I remember getting completos, uh, completos there – um, in yeah. Footscray Market. So, yeah, I think, yeah, those are all really important sort of factors that inform my writing because they inform my experience of life. And and just, I guess, in terms of your Latinx heritage, like I don't know if, if this is your experience, but like I remember growing up, my parents would be so staunch about speaking the language and knowing my heritage. And when I was really young, mm-hmm. that would kind of like make me like, rebel and then now that I've gotten older and I've moved out of home I feel like you know I've kind of gone the other way where I'm like I want to retain my culture like you know I want to hold on to it you know it means so much to me like what was it kind of like yeah like you know growing up and and being Latinx and trying to you know gain that connection to your culture as well yeah I don't know so I think a lot of people had that sort of experience of rejecting culture and then sort of wanting to reclaim it later and I think that's usually what happens when you grow up in a place like so-called Australia that has an extreme history of oppression of anything that isn't white. Growing up, I went to a Latin American kindergarten, so um, there was language there and I spoke Spanish as a young child, but then I started primary school and it kind of went away and it wasn't sort of me rejecting it or anything. I've always been very proud to be Latin American, but I did lose that language, which is, I don't know, I have a complex relationship with it because obviously Spanish is a language of colonisation, but it is also the only way I can communicate with so much of my family who still live in 
South America. And it's interesting mm. as well, like, um, you know, I feel really grateful, um, you know, now, especially like with my parents growing up, um, you know, making sure that I knew the language because, you know, now when I speak to relatives overseas who may not be able to speak English, I can I can mm. speak to them in a reasonably confident way. And, I, and to some degree, I have lost some of the language because you, you lose it a bit when you don't speak it all the time when you're living exactly. at home with your parents. Even now, like I try to speak to my partner in Tamil. He's also Sri Lankan Tamil and he doesn't necessarily know how to fluently speak the language he can understand yeah. to a certain degree and I'm trying to you know speak to him as well to, to keep him kind of connected as well because you know when we decide to have kids and all that like I'd, I'd want to kind of continue that language and that tradition yeah. and to probably some degree my kids will probably speak better than me because there's like a lot of schools like you know available for like kids and stuff mm-hmm. who want to learn the language and stuff like that but yeah like it it is that thing where um if you don't practice it all the time it's a hard thing to get back like kids have such a propensity to be able to pick things up and stuff like that so yeah Yeah. language is a really complex thing I think also in terms of Spanish and Latin America and Chile in particular like obviously dialect is such a thing as well and Chilean Spanish is very different to a lot of other places And, and it's funny because it kind of also brings up questions of race and things like that because Chilean Spanish is considered bad Spanish, but the, right. the thing is it's actually a much more blended language than a lot of other places. Or I can't, like that's yeah. a huge generalisation, but, you know, a lot of the words that we use um, are actually either Indigenous words or a mix of Indigenous words and, and words from Spanish. So yeah, some words that we use don't exist elsewhere. And so that's also... And another layer of sort of complexities of language and identity and culture and race. And then when you add in being like a displaced person in another country, it's um, yeah. full on. <laughs> but I'm, I'm very lucky. I do wish that I spoke better than I do. And I think that when I've been in South America or in other Spanish-speaking places, I do, or with Spanish-speaking people, I do know notice that I know a lot more than I think I do. And do you find um, like writing is a way to kind of express that, like having that creative outlet where you can explore these things, um, you know, about yourself through writing? Um, has that been like a, I guess, a catharsis or a way to kind of really keep that understanding going within yourself? Definitely. And it's also um, a way of me trying to understand my family. Mm. I know that like for a lot of people and for me, um, my experience is like writing is a way of trying to not necessarily like have any answers, but just kind of trying to find a way to understand. Yeah. Finding your own inner truth. Yeah, essentially, <laughs> which is ever changing as well. Like just because you, yeah, think one thing, it doesn't totally. mean it can't change. I mean, um, in the words of Blink-182, this is a direct quote, um, this is growing up. (laughs) Yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. Wow, so many flashbacks. So I have to say I'm a real fan of Latinx culture and and content um, that exists in pop culture. And I've really kind of really noticed it more and more in the moment, especially within like music and television and film, that um, Latinx representation is really surging, especially within the Mm -hmm. last few years, within the, I guess, more Western mainstream. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and um, what you think in terms of why that might be. Yeah, um, 
again, I'm going to reference something that I don't remember where I read it, but I know it exists. It was basically saying every sort of few years, every like decade or so, there's like a Latin resurgence in mainstream English speaking media. So, and it was talking Mm. about Ricky Martin and people of that era. And there was sort of people saying to those artists who kind of transitioned from Spanish music into English, sort of saying, don't do it because it's just going to be like a trend for now. And I think that that has been true. Like there's been waves of that where it's been like a trend to have a Latin American artist on your song or whatever. But I think now that's changed a bit. Mm. And, yeah, I think it's not going away, which is a great thing. But I also think that it means in terms of reception of that media, whether it's music or film, especially in Australia, and I'm saying this because I also don't have that context of having grown up in Latin America There's a lack of nuance, I think, when people talk about these songs and these artists and these shows and things like that, that I think, yeah, I think is missing. I don't know. I just, I think it's great, but I also think some people should stay in their lane when it comes to commentary on them, (laughs) essentially. Yeah. So do you feel like sometimes, you know, some of the portrayals are archetypal? I think people's interpretations are archetypal and stereotypical. And that's kind of what I mean. I think people are not affording, and and it's the same as like all these things we've been talking about, people don't afford nuance to something that they're not familiar with. And I find that really frustrating. So people have like a certain perception of something and then they watch something that kind of feeds that particular perception, but there's so many nuances in terms of culture and language and all those different things. So like people kind of painting a blanket of like, oh, I really love Latinx culture, Um, but not understanding like, you know, this is a very varied experience. Exactly. No, uh, you know, like I I really, um, really respect that perspective actually, because it's, it's actually really interesting. I went to um, Cuba two years ago and when I um, went there, I stayed at a Casa Particular, so like a, a, a lady's place who'd had a place on Airbnb. It was interesting kind of talking to her and talking to some of the women there, both Afro-Cuban women and, um, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and it was interesting the sense of identity because I think in the broader mainstream yeah. and especially in the Western mainstream, there's this distinction between Afro-Cuban and Cuban. But when I was there and I was like talking to locals, they were like, no, we're just Cuban. Like we don't mm-hmm. necessarily distinguish ourselves in that way. And it was it was really interesting to actually hear that perspective and, and really kind of highlighted that distinction between mainstream dialogue and the experiences of actual people who live in those kind of places. And I think that can happen um, when you're a person living in a diaspora as well. Like it's very easy to overlook things in an effort to find yourself. Yes. And so I think maybe it's something that everyone kind of learns in their own time. I think I've been pretty lucky, but maybe also that's anxiety because I don't ever like stepping on people's toes or like claiming something that I shouldn't be or proposing that I understand something that I don't yeah because I think that's really dangerous and and unfair yeah having said that Vida was my and is my fucking favorite show I am here for like the Latinx queer representation on tv I love it 
So these are all really important things and I love hearing the language and the different languages because I think oftentimes people forget that, like you were saying, like there's other languages in Latin America. It's not just Spanish yeah, and and different races and cultures and things like that. Um, I've gone on on a tangent here. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I love all of this like access to media that I have and I'm very lucky to have, but sometimes I get yeah frustrated with people's responses to them because they lack nuance essentially and and, and I really understand that because I think that's something that I really learned working in the art space um, and coming into contact with people who've like grown up in their homeland and me being myself Mm. and like you know being really involved in my culture here but growing up in a really western context as like a third culture kid like it goes two ways because there's also when you grow up in sort of this context, you also experience like a different kind of discrimination or a different kind of like appropriation is a much bigger deal because it's the thing that you often are like sort of ridiculed for in terms of trying to keep connection to your culture and then suddenly it becomes trendy and okay for people to other people to do and it's like, well, no, you don't understand so, yeah, I don't know. It goes all different ways. And that's sort of, I think, maybe not so much the experience of people who have grown up in sort of home countries and things like that. But then there's also like, yeah, there's so many layers. There's so many layers. Because there's also like people displaced within their country because of their indigeneity or because um, they're like Afro-Latinx or whatever. Yeah. Definitely. Like I think about my own context, like Sri Lanka's had a very complex political, social history and Mm. that in itself has created so many tensions as a result of like religion, culture and language. Yeah. So the people there experience from various kind of different minority groups experience a different kind of oppression and, and the severity of that. And I think, you know, living in Australia here, like that kind of um, experience of oppression is a little bit different because yeah. you've got that experience at home where your parents are like, you know, you've got to really keep in touch with your culture and like practice your culture and go to the temple and go to the Sri Lankan um, community events mm. and, and all those things. And sometimes growing up, you feel really ashamed of that because then you have to go back into school where like, you know, there might not be people yeah. who really understand the nuances of that and you just want to fit in and you want to be white so that you can have that experience that you see on TV of having a boyfriend and, you know, being able to go to parties and drink mm. and then, you know, trying to kind of like yeah. contend with that. And and I own like it's, it's so interesting because in popular culture there's been so little, you know, representation of the Sri Lankan Tamil experience specifically I love artists like MIA because you know when I heard her music and I like you know first knew about her when I was at uni I was like oh my god like here's this some person who's like Sri Lankan Tamil who talks about their culture and and the experience of that culture through their music and to feel so really connected to someone who uses art to talk about an experience that's so relevant to who you are is so um so amazing and also so like empowering but then you meet people who've like grown up in that place and like you know I used to watch like Tamil movies that are like predominantly produced in the south of India and I'd feel such Mm. a connection to those things and those are movies that I like grew up with and watched with my family when I was little and you meet people you know like who grew up there and and you think oh it's going to be the same we're going to have this like real deep connection and we're going to feel really similar but actually Mm -hmm. you feel quite different 
And I think it's that distinction of like the concerns that you expressed before about speaking the language and like you speaking the language and people be like, oh, you know, you're not really speaking the language because it may have a bit more of a Western twang or or whatever it might be. So, yeah, it's interesting what you're saying about like being part of a diaspora versus like growing up in the country kind of thing. Yeah, it's just, it's, I guess the whole like representation thing is important. And it's funny because my brother and I were talking about this the other night. We're talking about a TV show. And he was like, he was jokingly like poking fun. He was like, there's no next representation. I was like, but there's not. And then we were like trying to think of any Australian Latin American actors that we know of. And there's one. Is it the guy that was on Wonderland? Uh, Pia Miller. Pia Miller. She's like a home and away. She's Chilean. Um, no way. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's in a way, like sometimes I think it's really Australian um, to like poke fun of like Home and Away, like, oh, my God, Home and Away. But, um, and, mm. but also it's so important for shows like that that kind of reach such a broad net and group of people yeah. who represent, um, you know, the Australian identity, you know, across like all mm-hmm. the differences of those experiences um, as well. And I think, you know, that's something that a lot of First Nations produced content on television and film does really mm-hmm. well, like in terms of making sure that who's telling those stories in front of and behind the camera are from, you know, the community and and it leads to such amazing authentic storytelling. Like I'm watching Mystery Road at the moment and I'm obsessed. Mm. Like I'm so obsessed. It's Mm. on ABC. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, But just having, you know, and and that's a show that's been critically acclaimed but, you know, is so good at interweaving aspects of of culture and that, you Mm. know, interrelationship within a narrative uh, so that it's actually just a part of the narrative as opposed to like here's this mystery and then here's a little bit about his culture kind of thing. It's like all woven yeah. into music because that's how culture works in day-to-day life. It's just a part of who you are. It's not like now exactly. I'm at work and then I do my culture at home kind of thing, you know. Exactly. You can always tell as well when something's being created by someone who is not of that community or like whatever it is, yeah. like you can just tell when something's a stereotype or just, yeah. It's like, um, yes, up here from Simpsons, I'm looking at you. Um, mm. You know, like I think I think it's so important representation exists, I think, um, you know, of, of like really different kind of storytelling. It doesn't have to be accurate of like everyone's experience. I don't think one thing can do all no. of that. But like yeah. to at least feel, can. you know, authentic I think is kind of really important. This kind of leads into my next question around, I guess, some of the work that you're doing at the moment. So you're the artistic director mm-hmm. of the Emerging Writers Festival and also the co-founder of the Latinx collective, Your Soy. So talk mm-hmm. to me a little bit about those two organisations and your roles there. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I kind of started both of them, I realised, in, th- in 2018. So in 2018, I was a creative producer at EWF. So that's the internship program that we run, which was amazing. Uh, I got to produce an event and I got to be part, like work on the festival and things like that. And then in 2019, I was the digital producer for EWF 2019. And then in the second half of the year, I was the associate producer. So I was working on a few other programs and things that we do. And then it's funny, I wasn't going to apply for the AD role. And then 
some of my friends were like, are you fucking crazy? Just apply for it. So I did. And now I'm the artistic director, which is wild to me. And that was really interesting. Um, the reception was really lovely. As far as I know, I'm the first person of color in that role. Wow. That comes with a whole lot of complexities in terms of like community accountability and community like sort of, yeah, representation all that and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's something that I'm really proud of in terms of like getting that job because this is the first full-time job I've ever had. Like wow. I've pretty much worked in hospitality my whole adult life, like hospitality and retail and customer service. Like I've never had an industry job. I've never had a, a um, full-time job. I've always had like four jobs at the same time kind of thing. So that's been really great. This year has been what they call a baptism of fire yes. in terms of the COVID pandemic and response to that. But we're really lucky in mm. that I was confident and we were confident as an organisation in our ability to put on a festival digitally this year. Mm. So we made that decision really quite early on when we were sort of figuring out if we were going to be working from home and all that sort of stuff. We were like, look, we just kind of need to make the call because regardless of sort of where... So EWF always runs in June and mm. this was the discussion we were having in like, you know, early March and we were like, well, it kind of doesn't even matter if technically we'll be allowed to have gatherings because that's not going to be long enough. If they make the announcement in May mm. or June, mm. we're not going to be able to put a fest- an 11-day festival together in like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so we made the decision to go online and that's been really Received really well um, and it's exciting, which feels very strange to say in this time. It, it does mean that we've got far fewer like spots available for artists, which always sucks because there are so many amazing people that I would love to program and that we, we really want to program, but we probably can't this year. But that's one thing about EWF that I really love is that we do actually read every single application that we get. We do... And I think maybe you'll appreciate this as someone who works in the arts. As a producer, it's like we we think about what we're programming, right? It's not like we just pick a name out of a hat kind of thing. Like it, it's there's a integrity that like takes there's a integrity while. in the process. Yeah, and it also means like sometimes people are like, "Why did you choose me?" I'm like, "We chose you because you're perfect for this." So just say yes. <laughs> um, Yeah, working with artists is something I love. It's something I've done for a long time. I used to do music events as a young person. Mm. So, yeah, it was funny, though, because I didn't realise until I started at EWF that my events background and my interest in literature with something that could go together. Yeah. I was like, oh, and And that's a thing. Like you grow up and you're like, um, can I make my passion and like what I love actually be like my my work? Like how can I do that? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So what would you say now to all those haters and doubters from your tertiary degree? <laughs> um, just be like, look at me now. Literally, but also I honestly like I'm doing me and it's a good time. And then, um, yeah, after EWF in 2018, my – co-founder of Josoy and I, um, so her name is Jessica Ibukashi. She used to work at FCAC. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how we met. We actually met because she read an, that Vice article that I wrote. Oh, my God. Um, and hit me up on Instagram and I was like, hey, you're working at FCAC. I live in Footscray. And then we went to Milking Station and got coffee. Um, <laughs> and, 
Yeah. And so then it was kind of like a, a few months later, we were like, we really, we both work in the arts. We both have so many friends who work in the arts or who are writers and artists who are Latinx, but we don't find each other very often and we don't know where to or how to. And that's the, that's what I was going to say before is the interesting experience of like being Latinx in Australia is that like the communities are strong, but they're so spread out mm. that it's really hard to sort of know where to find people or where to find people when you move out of that community or when the community moves elsewhere. So we started Josoy mainly as a community project to bring people together and then we started applying for like things to put on. So we've run three events in the past like 12 months or so. Yeah, 12 months. Amazing. Um, we did an event for EWF last year which I always like to preface saying I did not have a job at EWF when we applied and got offered that um, EWFX spot. But another producer put us on. We ran um, our event Fuego, which was a reading event, which was really beautiful. I think it was one of the highest, if not the highest, attended event in EWF last year. Yeah. And that is kind of a testament to the passion and love and strength in the Latin American community, mm. especially in the arts. And then we ran an event as part of One Night in Footscray. We ran Vila, which was our block party event with Counterweight Records, which was fucking sick. It, it was, was so amazing. Good. That um, dance floor, I was just like, it was off. It went off. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. They had to shut us down. They were like, no, we're going to turn our power off. It's, it's, it's like, like um, the Latins have gone wild. It's like... <laughs> It's like, you cannot extinguish this fire. <laughs> you cannot. Um, what is it when when um, there's that meme about being a person of colour and eating something spicy and it's too spicy but you just tell yourself that fire cannot kill a dragon? <laughs> <laughs> That's all. It's like, my body was built for this. Yeah, and then earlier this year, the last event that we ran, so it's kind of bittersweet, we activated a space in the Immigration Museum as part of their Latin Valentine event. It mm. was really beautiful. Oh. We ran a photo booth. Cute. Um, we ran a speed friending session, which is like speed dating but for friendship, oh. and we had a bunch of postcards that people could write on to give people Valentine's and yeah. it went really well. It was really beautiful. And that was obviously in February and then COVID stuff happened. So we've been kind of trying to mainly do support within yeah. our networks for people. So we've been um, uh, highlighting artists that we know who have lost work mm. because they work in hospitality and things like that through our platforms, through our networks. We've been applying for grants and things like that to try and make something happen. We're just trying to sort of run cute community things that we can do in a socially distant world. So we, we really want to run like a virtual screening kind of thing, which will just be like Netflix play or whatever it is. Yeah. With a bunch of people for like some of the Latinx content on Netflix and things like that. It's so great that you've actually managed to create this community 
that intersects the arts and community with a focus on like, um, mm. you know, bringing together Latinx artists because I think collectively as a group you can probably do so much more and you've already seemed to have, you know, gained so many strides in terms of getting more representation in the mm. arts for the Latinx experience and it's really amazing the work that you've done and, you know, thank you so much for your time thank today you. and all your insight um, and sharing your perspective. It was so wonderful to talk to you. Um, and if you want to find out more about the Emerging Writers Festival, um, you can go to their website at emergingwritersfestival.org.au. And um, when does the program launch? Have you established a launch date yet? Yeah, we have. So our dates have changed for the festival a little bit. Mm. So our program will launch on June the 2nd via the Wheeler Centre website. Wow. And then the festival itself is the 16th of June to the 23rd. Amazing. And if you want to find out more about um, the Latinx Collective, Your Soy, you can follow them on Instagram at Your Soy Collective. And thanks again so much, Ruby. It was so great to have you. Thank you. Can I give one shout out? Of course you can. So IRL Info Shop, Info's great, sort of taking donations for food care packages and things for people in need uh, during this time. So people who cannot go to the supermarket because they're immunocompromised or people who have lost work and things like that. So if you have the means to donate either money or some sort of, you know, long life goods, you can find them on Instagram. It's just IRL info shop on Instagram and there should be some info there. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for your time. Um, Best of luck with your story and uh, as well as Emerging Writers Festival. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks so much. Bye.